Good day. It's a good day to be in church. I believe this is God's favorite day, Sunday. I do. I believe that. All around the world, people gather, all different flavors of church, all different kinds and, uh, of, of uh, you know, of music and all different styles. And, but for the most part, what happens when the church gathers is there's a lot of worship that happens, and there's teaching and preaching of the Word of God, and that's just the way... The church rolls, and it happens all around the world, and just like it is today. And my friends in Africa, uh, let me see, nine, eight, they're just finishing off their evening service as we speak, and so uh, that they're, they're on Sunday evening right now. So I'll be about nine hours ahead of you uh, when, I get, when I get to that part of the world. Uh, we're in the middle of a series right now uh, called uh, Minor Prophets, Major Impact, and there are 12 minor prophets, as they are called, in the Old Testament. And uh, they are, I think, uh, oh, by the way, if, you, if I can just get you to go back to that, why do we have a B on our logo or on our, on our slide? Let me tell you why. Because Bs are very little, but they have a big impact, okay? And so that's, that's what we got going on here. And so... The next slide, it's just got the honeycomb on there in the background, I think, and, and that's why they've, we've got the, that honeycomb there, just to remind you that small things can have a big impact, and there's a list there of all the uh, minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and we're going to hit most of them. Today, God willing, I'm going to cover three books. Now... One of them is just little, and we'll be out of here by 2 o'clock, guaranteed. You're going to have homework, though. Your homework is going to be to read through these books, because I'm not going to be able to cover all the material, but there's a theme that is in all three of these books, and I just felt from the Lord that this is what needed to happen. There's really two things. One is God's heart for the nations, the fact that God has a heart for all the nations. And the second thing is that God is, there, there's, there's a lot of social issues that we're facing today that they were facing back then as well. It's uh, basically, it's a, one, time I got a, one time I got a phone call from someone uh, that was doing a survey, and they said, what do you think is the number one problem that's facing Canada today? This goes back about 30 years. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll tell you what I think. I think the problem is sin. Well, that was not on their list, you know. Unemployment was there. Uh, there was all kinds of things on their list. That was not one box they could t- tick off. But, you know, it, the sin is basically the same problem, I think, through all the generations. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so I'm going to be talking about uh, those, those books. But let me just mention a couple of things from last week. Last week, first of all, there was people that were trying to download the message from last week on our website. And unfortunately, we had technical difficulties, and it's not available. So it's just gone into the heavens, and you'll have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you instead of me, which is far better. And the second thing about last week, I wanted to mention, and I thought it was such a tender part of the message from last week. And if you read the book of Hosea, actually, most of these minor prophets, they're not an easy read. They're a little tough. There's a lot of confrontation from God to the people. And uh, it's just, it, they're, they're just not an easy read. Last week, of course, the, in Hosea, part of the story is, is, I guess, interesting. So that might be an easy read, but it's still really weird. How'd you like to be a prophet 
and God says, okay, Mr. Prophet, you go and find a, a prostitute and get married to her and have kids with her. And then she's going to go running around and she's going to come back and you have more kids. And, uh, you know, basically it was one of those tough stories that, you know, thankfully God's never asked me to do that. I'm so happy. I guess I don't, I, I don't attain to that uh, level, but Hosea did. And there was a story behind it, and it was all an allegory. It was a true story, but it was an allegory of how God views Israel as his bride. And she had, uh, Israel had been involved with idolatry, and that was like a, adult, spiritual adultery. And, of course, our idols, we talked about this last week. But the tender part that I loved so much, again, go and love your wife again because I love my bride. I love my people. I love the church. God loves you. Even when we, sometimes our hearts are prone to wander. Sometimes we get involved with distractions that are not good, but God still loves us. God still loves you. In fact, nobody knows you better than Jesus does, and nobody loves you more. Think of it. You can't do anything to make him love you more than he does because he loves you that much. And he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. That's why he loves you, because he loves you. That's what he does. Hallelujah. So let's relax. I mean, we still want to please him. We still want to do the right thing and all. Of course we do. But let's relax. We're not earning anything from God. It's because of his love. It's out of that strength and it's out of that lack of um, insecurity. That, uh, let's say it the positive way. It's out of that security that we can serve him and do the things that we do because he loves us. Amen. Boy, that's worth the price of admission right there, isn't it? Hallelujah. Well, I, I believe God has a heart for the nations, and it all goes back to Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the church, the father of the, of the faith. Uh, he, he was an amazing man. You probably know most of his story. And when he was in Haran, which is uh, kind of in, the, in the, the north part of the, the Fertile uh, Crescent, it's called, uh, he was in this place called Haran, I believe, and uh, God called him. And in Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of how he was supposed to leave his father's house and go to Canaan, and that's where his property would be. And uh, here it is in Genesis 12. And I, I just i am so amazed by this and how much people have missed this. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. The people of Israel had, of course, they had been taught to not intermarry with other nations, and they had taught that they were a peculiar, uh, special uh, people uh, out of all the nations to be kings and priests before the Lord or to be a, a nation of priests. And the, the nation of Israel's mission was to be a, a blessing to all the other nations. And what ended up happening, they felt like, well, we're, we have the privilege and we are the ones that are the chosen and you aren't, and they got to be, it got to be all about how we're the special ones and how the other nations were the, the Gentiles. 
But that is not God's heart. That was never God's heart for God's people. God's people were intended to be a blessing to other people. And just like Hosea's wife was already, was, had not yet repented, God said, you go and you love her. Before we, were, uh, before we came to faith in Christ, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And God has called us to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And God has a heart for all the nations of the world. And I, it, it just happened to work out that this is the week of my last Sunday before I go to Malawi. I, I'm not a traveler. I'm not this great missionary guy. I'm a stay-at-home pastor. I'd far rather stay home with you than go there. But God has called me, and I love, I've grown to, this is my, uh, my seventh visit. I've grown to love them so much, and uh, so I'm not sad to go. But I would love to be able just to stay home. That's my preference. But God says God has a heart. God has a heart for the nations. He wants us to have a heart for the nations as a church. We have ministries that we support in uh, South America, in Peru especially. We have uh, ministries in Africa, both in Malawi and in Tanzania. We have missionaries uh, that we support in Japan and uh, lots of local things as well. Uh, people that travel in and out of the country. And so we do have an interest in the nations as a church. But these, uh, these three books uh, that we're going to be looking at today, Amos, Obadiah, and Nahum. Now, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're different from me. But I'll tell you, I uh, don't think about these books very often. I think about John 3.16. I think about all kinds of things. But I don't very often think about these books. And I've spent a lot of time trying to get a handle on these three books for you today to share with you some things, if you notice that. But there's a video. Are you queued up for that a little later? It's okay. It's all good. Thank you. That's good. It's going to happen. Not now. It's going to happen a little later. I just want to give you a heads up that they're all, they're all ahead of me. So these nations are represented in Amos, Obadiah, and Nahum, Assyria, I, used, I did say I misspoke, not Assyria. Can you go back to uh, that last slide? So there's, Phil, there's Syria, there's Philistia, there's Phoenicia, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, Israel, and Assyria. All You'll find these books when you read, when you faithfully read these books this week. Amen. Amen, Pastor Mike. We're going to read these books. If you're just little, you've got time. Believe me, you do. So when you see these, these nations, I just want to kind of go through, because each one of these nations, God's got an issue with them. And it's, a, it's slightly negative, you know, in the sense it's a little bit negative. It's, it's, a, it's a confrontation. But you and I, listen, we are no better than them. Sorry if that's a newsflash. But, you know, you know, we all have sinned and fall short fall short of the glory of God. And these nations did as well. And God has a heart for them. And God wanted actually to help them. In fact, next week, one of these very nations, you're going to see how God had a heart for one of these nations, sent a prophet that didn't want to go and help them. And Julia is going to tell you all about that. And so I'm just going to walk through these nations real quick. And I am in mostly in the book of Amos here. So if you want to look, uh, turn in, in your Bibles or your apps and, and take a look at the book of Amos, and you can see 
Uh, where is that? Nahum, Micah, Habakkuk, Zeph. No, I passed it. Uh, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. There we go. Uh, uh, Micah, Micah, Amos. Where's Amos? Joel, Amos. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Okay, there it is. So, uh, st- starting with Syria, in Amos chapter 1, right at the very beginning, uh, he starts with Syria. Now, of course, Syria, we're used to that because we've heard the news. There's lots going on today in Syria. It's an old country. Uh, and in Amos chapter 1, verse 3, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, God says, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Okay, so uh, if, you, if you see the, the little map there on the slide, and you, you have the Dead Sea at the bottom, close to the middle there, and then up the blue. There were some, na- some parts of Israel that had uh, property or had their inheritance on the, the east, which would be the right-hand side by that map. Uh, of of the Jordan River, and that's the Gilead there. And you can see Damascus. I've got that yellowish sort of arrow there. That's where Syria is located. And they had come and done some dastardly, terrible things to God's people that were on the east side of Jordan. And so that is why God had some things to say to Syria. Uh, The next one is in Amos chapter 1 and verse 6, and that's on the other side, and that's Philistia. And that is what is now known as the Gaza Strip. And uh, you can see the, uh, the arrow there. It's right on the coast. And that is where uh, the Philistines come from. You know, Goliath was one of the Philistines. And the story of uh, Samson had the Philistines in it, uh, those rotten scoundrels. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. Now you can see Edom there. Uh, no, you can't. It's south of Moab, actually. And so they are involved in human trafficking. And as you know, today, uh, around the world, there's more slaves today than any time in human history. We have a terrible situation in our, in our, on our planet. And uh, God cares about human trafficking. Here it is here. He's talking to these people that were involved with trafficking. And uh, he's, he says, I, I'm going to be against you. I will not relent, he says. Now, the next nation that's listed in Amos chapter 1 and verse 9 is Phoenicia. And uh, it says that she took, and there you can see it there, you may have heard of uh, Tyre and Sidon. Jesus refers to that. That's Phoenicia. And uh, in Amos chapter 1 verse 9, she sold whole communities of captives to Edom disregarding a, a treaty of brotherhood. And uh, that is just, God does not like, he hates human trafficking as well. And then uh, the next nation that is listed in Amos chapter 1 and verse 11, and that is Edom. And you can see where Edom is. Now, Edom is the nation, uh, descendants of Esau. And uh, so they are actually from Abraham, but they we're not very friendly to the nation of Israel as well. And in Amos 1.11, he says uh, he's against, again, he's against them because they, he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land. And that's war crimes. There's a, where, today, there's war, war crimes all around the world, 
horrible things that are happening. And same thing back then. Now, I'm just going to pause here, and I just want to share with you some scriptures out of Obadiah. It's one of the few books in the Bible that only has one chapter. It's a very short book, but in Obadiah, verse verse 10, it says, Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, this is what they did. This is what Edom did to Israel. When they, when Israel was invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them, and you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have plundered the land of Israel. So Israel gets invaded, and then Edom comes and steals stuff from Israel when they're weak. That's not very nice. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have plundered the land of Israel. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they suffered such calamity. And now look at this. This is verse 14 of Amos. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over to their, in their terrible time of trouble. So the people that invaded Israel, they, there were some survivors. And Edom went in, took the survivors, and handed them over to the Syrians. Handed them over to the Assyrians. Did terrible things. The next one is, uh, is listed in Amos chapter 1 and verse 13. There's quite a list of these nations that God has issues with. And this is, uh, uh, moms, what you should do with your kids now is I don't, I don't, they shouldn't hear this. So just cover their ears or something or give them a cookie or a distraction. But in the, the nation of Ammon, and these people were descendants of Lot, you know, Abraham and Lot, if you don't know that story, I don't have time to tell you, but he was Abraham's nephew, I believe it is. And so his descendants, uh, some of them became the, the Ammonites. And it says that God's against them. Uh, he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Now, that, that's horrible. And uh, basically, that's I, I'm calling that ultimate abortion, where you know they, they kill the baby and the mother at the same time. It's just horrible what they did. And uh, Moab, another descendant of Lot, Amos chapter two, for three sins of Moab, even four, I will not relent. He says, and they burned the ashes of the bones of Edom's king. Just these these people were just mean, nasty, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. But you know, if if our hearts uh, are not checked by the Holy Ghost and and by our uh, the one of the few nations in the world in Canada that enjoys the rule of law across our nation. Uh, most nations of the world they don't they don't have that they they uh, they have uh, just too much corruption and so we're so grateful for the restraints that we have and the culture that we have here in Canada. So a more familiar ground here is Judah, Amos chapter 2, verse 4. Judah, they have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have not kept the law, uh, even though they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be the blessed ones who are blessing the whole world. And instead, what they're doing is they're taking, uh, taking on the sins of the world around them. God help us. I know that for me, sometimes the things around me in this world that are that are wrong, they for some reason they're temp- 
tempting. There, there's a temptation there. And God help all of us to walk according to the instruction of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen? Okay, I'm, I'm going to slow down in just a minute. I don't want to take too much time with all these nations. But when you read this, you've you got to understand what's, what, what's being spoken about here. Israel uh, is also mentioned in, in this list. And it says that in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 6, they sell the innocent and the needy. They sell them. Human trafficking again. They trample helpless people in the dust and the oppressed out of the way. They're merciless. Both father, look, this is, this is creepy. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge, look at this, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. They don't even keep trust funds properly. In the house of their gods, that's idolatry, they, they drink wine they, they, that they bought with unjust fines. And so there's bribery involved, corruption. It was just a mess. And that's why the prophet is uh, speaking, and that's why sometimes these prophets are a little bit tough to read. And then uh, last but not least is not in the book of Amos anymore, but in the book of Nahum, uh, referring to the nation of Assyria. And uh, you can see Nineveh there up at the top right corner of that map. And then that's part of the nation of Assyria, which was a world power, a very large world power, and a very, very mean-spirited, tough place. Uh, Assyria, uh, Nahum chapter 3, it says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. They, they, were, they were one of the meanest, violent, vile nations, uh, world powers of that time. Uh, and uh, in fact, I'm not going to say any more about Nahum today, except we're going to watch a little video clip. So if we can just get that to roll, uh, that would be great. This short prophetic book is a collection of poems announcing the downfall of one of Israel's worst oppressors, the ancient empire of Assyria, and its capital city, total destruction and exile of the northern kingdom and its tribes. The Assyrian armies were violent and destructive on a scale that the world had never seen before, and so Israel and its neighbors were awaiting the downfall of Assyria, which eventually came in the year 612 BC. The Babylonians rose up and began a rebellion that overtook Nineveh and brought down the Assyrian Empire. And so chapter 2 depicts the fall of Nineveh in vivid poetry, and chapter 3 then explores the downfall of the empire as a whole. But this book isn't just an angry tirade against Israel's enemies. The introductory chapter shows us that there is way, way more going on here. The book opens with an incomplete alphabet poem that begins by describing a powerful appearance of God's glory. It's very similar to how the previous book, Micah, began and how the next book, Habakkuk, is going to conclude. And it's God, the all-powerful creator, coming to confront the nations and bring his justice on their evil. And the poem opens by quoting from the famous line of God's self-description after the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus chapter 34. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. He won't leave evil unpunished. 
And so the rest of the poem goes back and forth, contrasting the fate of the arrogant, violent nations with the fate of God's faithful remnant. When God brings down all the arrogant empires, he will provide refuge for those who humble themselves before him. Now, here's what's really interesting, is that you thought this book was only about Assyria, but Nahum actually nowhere mentions Nineveh or Assyria in chapter 1. And when he describes the downfall of the bad guys, he uses Isaiah's language about the fall of Babylon, which happened much later in history. And not only that, Nahum also describes the downfall of the bad guys as good news for the remnant of God's people. It's a direct allusion to Isaiah's good news about the downfall of Babylon. And so all these little details from chapter 1, they come together to make a key point. For Nahum, the fall of Nineveh is being presented as an example, as an image of how God is at work in history in every age, how he won't allow the arrogant or violent empires of our world to endure forever. And so the message of Nahum is actually very similar to that of Daniel. Assyria stands in a long line of violent empires throughout history. And Nineveh's fate is a memorial to God's commitment to bring down the violent and the arrogant in every age. With this perspective from the opening chapter, the book then returns to its focus on Assyria. And so chapter 2 describes the Battle of Nineveh and the overthrow of the city in progressive stages. So first we see the front line of Babylonian soldiers, and then we read about the charge of the chariots, and then the chaos on the city walls as the city is breached, then the slaughter of Nineveh's people, then the plundering of the city. Chapter 3 goes on to describe the results of the city's downfall for the empire as a whole. So Nahum begins by announcing a woe upon the city whose kings built it with the blood of the innocent. It's an image of how injustice was built into the very system that made Assyria so successful. But their violence has sown the seeds of their own destruction, and so Assyria will fall before Babylon. The book concludes with a taunt against the fallen king of Assyria. He's stricken with a fatal wound, and from among all the nations that he once oppressed, no one comes to help him. Rather, they sing and celebrate his destruction. And that's how the book ends. Now, this is a gloomy book, but it's important to see how Nahum's message addresses the tragic and perpetual cycles of human violence and oppression in every age. Human history is filled with tribes and nations elevating themselves and using violence to take what they want, resulting in the death of the innocent. And the book of Nahum uses Assyria and Babylon as examples to tell us that God is grieved and that he cares about the death of the innocent and that his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive nations. And God's judgment on evil is good news, unless, of course, you happen to be Assyria. Which brings us all the way back to the conclusion of that opening poem in chapter 1, which tells us that the Lord is good and a refuge in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. And so the little book of Nahum invites every reader to humble themselves before God's justice and to trust that in his time he will bring down the oppressors of every time and place. And that's what the book of Nahum is all about. The book of the prophet <laughs> Nahum. This short that was a fast one, wasn't it? You, you know, I'm just, I was just thinking about this this message and how it would relate to you and how you would be. It's a, it's a little bit of a departure going through these books than what we normally go through. But one of the things I feel very strongly about is that we do need to address all of Scripture. 
at, at some point in our, in, our, uh, in our teaching and preaching. It needs to happen. So that's why we're doing this at this time. And uh, again, I, I think the, the overarching theme of this morning's message is that the nations matter to God. If you look at the book of Genesis and up until the story of Abraham kicks in, you have all different kinds of nations and the, the beginnings and the, the, of, of all of the nations, even through Abraham and into the life of Isaac and Jacob and, and how Edom started and with Lot, how some of these other nations happened. And God, ha- God, in, God cares about all of the nations, and he also cares about these social issues, even though it's... It may not be the kind of thing where if you come to church and, wow, that was such a blessing to hear all about, you know, human trafficking and all about war crimes and all about debauchery and idolatry. But actually, these are warnings in the scriptures. And, you know, you and I, when we, when we watch the news or, or even YouTube videos or whatever we watch, there's so much of this, we're faced with this all through our weeks. And so even though, you know, sometimes we like to have a bit of a refuge on Sunday, and we do, because this is especially in the context of God's will and God's purpose and God's redemptive plan, uh, we still need to know how to relate to these things in our lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, so real quick, I just want to quickly, before I, I get into sort of the more positive ending to this message. I want to quickly just run through again some of these injustices that God is is talking about in these books because that is what these books are about. So I can't tell you that they're not. I want to be able to explain a little bit and talk a little bit about what you're going to be reading if you do choose to go ahead and read these books. Uh, I've got some slides here, I think three of them, about the different injustices that are that are found in here, and and they are verse. Uh, this is Amos again. They they trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. They just they're just rude. You know, sometimes when people are very needy, they are not very pleasant to be around, and it's easy to not treat them respectfully, just like that. Okay, my people, uh, verse ten, have forgotten how to do right. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at this. I, this is in the Bible, okay? Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. Uh, there's a lot to be said there, but I'm not going there. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, you who are always calling to your husbands, bring me another drink. <laughs> I'm just going to stop right there and move right along to the next slide. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, you trample the poor, you steal their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Uh, therefore, uh, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. You plant vineyards, you'll never drink wine from them. I know the vast number of your sins and depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by, by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. That happens in Canada. Chapter 8, verse 6, you, look at this, there's, there's cheating going on. Ever, ever felt like you, you were cheated in a business deal of some sort? You mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. And then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. 
Wow, I could go on. I'm not going to, though. Uh, one more slide. This is, this is something that I think, like Dwight was saying earlier, it's the heart behind this all here. And God says this, I, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I, I don't even want to hear your praise and worship. I, I don't want your tithes and offerings. I won't even notice those things. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hearts, harps. Instead, this is what he wants. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. A lot of justice issues around the world. In Canada, in White Rock, in British Columbia, there's a lot of justice issues God cares about a lot. Now, of course, he wants us to bring offerings. Of course, he wants us to sing hymns. Of course, he does. But he doesn't want us to forget these other things either. He wants us to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So, New Testament. New, first of all, there's, there's two times where Amos is quoted in the New Testament. One, it's all about idolatry. We're not going to stop there because we really covered idolatry last week. But I want to chat with you real quick about the other quotation that is a very important quotation from Amos uh, in, ver- in Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse 16. If you can just go to the next slide, which is, it talks about the tent of David and uh, Jesus' brother James is addressing the church and the subject of his address is the inclusion of the Gentile people. This was a big deal because just like Abraham had been told, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And I was mentioning earlier that the people of Israel, somehow they got lost and all that, and they were the exclusive ones. And we're the people of God and all the other guys. They're just dirty, rotten scoundrels, those terrible Gentiles. Well, most of us here in this room are Gentiles. I'm very thankful for James because he quotes Amos, and he talks about the the restoration. I'm going to restore, he says, I'm going to restore the tent of David that was fallen, and I'm going to rebuild it. Now, David had a place on Mount Zion where he had the Ark of the Covenant in a tent separate from the religious uh, uh tent uh, or tabernacle of Moses where all the sacrifices were. And it was like this little time, a parenthesis in history of the New Testament when he could just sing to the Lord and he had all kinds of choirs and, and, and people could come and worship God on Mount Zion. And when you hear or see Mount Zion in your scriptures, it's partly referring to that. And it also talks about how the, he, he interprets James interprets this prophecy to say this is also talking about the inclusion of all the nations. All the nations are meant to be able to be included. And I want to tell you, that's one of the reasons I'm so happy for all of our precious Filipinos and people uh, from Chinese descent and and different nations, uh, people from the Caribbean and all, all around the world. I'm so glad that we have people. We've even got you know, white people from, from Norway and, and Germany here. And it's, it's, I love having all the nations represented, Korea, in our, in, our, uh, in our church. From all the nations, God loves them all. God loves us all. And that's his plan and purpose. Not that we would be the, the ones with, with, all the, with all the blessings, but we be willing to share. 
And uh, I, I know that this message is getting long, and I'm, I'm almost done. So now, if, you, if your mind wandered at all, if you're like me, your mind did. But I'm trying to preach, so my mind didn't wander too much. But, I, but I'd like you to listen for these last two slides. So important. And I just think this is God's heart. Why did God write or anoint these prophets to talk about all of these nations? Because he loves them. And here's God's purpose for the nation. This is Paul speaking on Mars Hill in Athens. And he says this, God created the world and everything in it. And from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall. And he determined their boundaries. Now, here's God's reason why there's a place called Canada, why there's a place called the Philippines, why there's a place called Korea, why there's a place called Syria, why there's a place called Malawi. Why, why, did, why are all these nations here and in, in their place? His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. That's his purpose. And perhaps feel their way toward him and Find him. God's heart for the nations is that they will find Jesus. And really, he goes and finds them, as you know. For in him we live and move and have, uh, have our existence. And so we have the picture of, of the, what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go into every nation. Go to the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. We can't teach what we don't do. So we've got to have it going on right. And then, not, not that we're perfect, but we have to have a heart after God so that we can teach the nations. And whether it's, you know, here in Canada, right here, there's nations right here, and I'm teaching you, and you've got friends and, and, and people all around this area from all different backgrounds and God wants us to do the same. And Revelation chapter 14. Now, Revelation, I could talk a lot about the, ba- the background of Revelation and do a 14-part series on it. But real quick, Revelation is like a, the curtain going back in history. It's like a peek into the spiritual world where God lives. And he, this is what it looks like in heaven. Uh, there was an angel <laughs> flying through the sky... My name is Michael, but I'm not an angel. Uh, I will be flying, though. Carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world the everlasting gospel, the eternal good news to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. God has a love. God has a heart for all the nations. They're all messed up just like we are. (laughs) But God loves them. And God saved us, and he can save them. Hallelujah. Amen. So when you read these scriptures, don't get bogged down on all the hard stuff to read. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I hope this has been helpful to you. Let's stand together, please. I want to invite you to open your heart to the Lord on these two different areas. The area of God's heart for the nation and the area of uh, matters of justice in our land. And sometimes when, you know, we just have so much on our mind and so much on our plate, we don't emphasize the things sometimes that God really emphasizes 
in his word and in his heart. And I want to be a person, and I want our church to be people that love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Amen. So as, as, uh, as I pray, you perhaps will be able to identify with some of these things, uh, but then we're going to close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your gracious love for each and every one of us. We're here from all around the world. We have people here from South America. We have people here from, uh, from Asia, from Europe, from North America. God, all around the world, we're represented. And I thank you that you love all the people of the whole world. You love the world in such a way that you sent your only begotten son. That's what you did about it. And God, I pray that you will just burn in our hearts for the nations of the world, even for Canada, as we sang about, Lord, would you show your glory, let this land be filled with your glory. And we pray that your glory would be seen, as it says, all around the world. The glory of the, of the, the, glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all nations will see it, together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That's what Isaiah says. God, I pray that we'll have hearts that are bigger than just trying to make enough money to live this week. But Lord, that we will that we will have a heart for the nations of the world. And Lord, so much trouble, so much injustice in our world, so much uh, difficulty in our nation. We've been unfair to uh, the First Nations people in so many different ways. We've been unfair to others as well. God, I pray that you would forgive us as a nation. And Lord, that you would heal our land and every injustice would be gone. Nobody would be cheated out of things. Nobody would be sent to prison falsely. I pray, God, for righteousness and justice in our nation and all around the world. The things that matter to you, Lord, let them burn in our hearts, Lord. God, I thank you for this. And Lord, we are your people, and we are the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, I thank you that we are secure in your love. And Lord, we are a people that we're committed to do our part, to do what we're supposed to do, to follow you in this, in this lifetime, in this part of history, in this beautiful part of the world. God, our freedom, we thank you for it. We thank you that we can gather here, everyone that's here. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We have people that will pray with you, and, and I'll be happy to pray with you too. And we hope most of you can uh, kind of get out to the picnic a little bit later. Uh, but I just want to just say thank you for being here today. I want to give you a blessing. Uh, I believe I have authority to do that. I'm nobody special, but God's called me. So receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he give you the desires of your heart and in your laughter and in your tears. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.